the Italian Wine Podcast is the community-driven platform for Italian wine geeks around the world. Support the show by donating at italianwinepodcast.com. Donate five or more euros and we'll send you a copy of our latest book, My Italian Grape Geek Journal, absolutely free. To get your free copy of My Italian Grape Geek Journal, click support us at italianwinepodcast.com or wherever you get your pods. Grazie mille. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today it's my great pleasure to introduce my guest, Aldo Fiordelli, who is an Italian wine critic, journalist and writer who contributes to several publications, including the Tuscan edition of Corriere della Sera, as well as Civiltà del Bere, and also Decanter magazine here in the UK. Aldo is also a certified sommelier and has written four books about wine, food, and art. So I'm looking forward very much to our conversation. Buongiorno, Aldo. How are you today and where are you today? Buongiorno. I'm very fine. Uh, I'm in Florence, where I was born. Uh, it's, my, it's my town. Uh, but uh, today I'm, uh, well, actually, I, I live uh, in both uh, in, in Monza, close to Milan, and, and in Florence. So I spend my, my time among the two. And also some time in London? Uh, yes, uh, some time in London, mostly uh, for Decanter, for the for, for, uh, Canter World Wine Awards uh, in, in spring, and uh, when Decanter when organizes the, the panel tastings. Okay, so you move around a lot, and I'm sure you move around a lot for your work. Tell me about yourself, how you became a wine and food writer and critic. It's something that listeners are always interested to know. Oh, yes, yes. Well, my family came from uh, uh, a small village uh, between uh, Tuscany, Umbria, uh, Marche, in the, in the heart of the center of Italy, uh, where um, uh, the food was excellent, uh, but the, the wine was really very bad. <laughs> it is, uh, is, a, is a place, Valtiberina, if you know, is the best place in Italy to grow uh, tobacco and uh, and obviously tobacco loves uh, um, humid uh, soil uh, humid grounds and uh, uh, and weather and uh, so it's the opposite uh, for, for the wine and uh, and so in, in my house uh, uh, I has eaten always very well uh, but the wine was uh, was uh, you know a kind of food stuff for everyday drinking or otherwise uh, uh, you have the old uh, very old uh, bottles uh, um, not always uh, stored properly of uh, barolo brunello uh, sort of things so i started with an interest about wine and um, um, my, my parents um, ha- had a friend, uh, a producer, a wine producer, uh, who is Fabrizio Bianchi from Castello di Monsanto in Chianti Classico. 
And when I was young, uh, I, I found a, a bottle, uh, an open bottle of the of the previous dinner, uh, the, 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 the night before, the, uh, of, of Il Poggio 1990. And when I tasted uh, this wine, uh, I, I have a... Um, the, the, the classic uh, coupe de foudre. Uh, uh, so I, I, I thought uh, if the wine is uh, this sort of thing, I, I would I would know it. Uh, and um, and then um, I, I started uh, to work as a journalist. So not immediately as a wine critic or a food critic, but um, uh, I started with the Chronicle. And I worked uh, up to 2013 in a newspaper um, following uh, uh, Chronicle, uh, politics, uh, economics. Um, but um, since the beginning, when there was uh, something about uh, food and wine, uh, the, the editor uh, asked me to, to cover it. And, uh, and so is uh, this is the way I, I started with... Uh, with, with wine journalism. But I, I, I like to say that um, um, I like to be a, a critic, to work as a critic, but uh, what I prefer is to, to work uh, uh, as a reporter. Uh, so I prefer to, to, how do you say, to share with the, with the readers uh, what I can discover and uh, what, what they can find uh, in a restaurant or in a winery, rather than saying uh, simply, this is very good, excellent, or not as good as usual. Okay, I understand that distinction. And I've enjoyed your articles in Decanter as well. Uh, I think that's interesting that your Damascene moment that excited you about wine was Il Poggio di Monsanto, a great wine. And I can see how tasting a wine like that after... Uh, you had grown up drinking, I guess, or in a household where wine was, as you say, a food, uh, something to to lubricate the meals, and that would have been the time of the mezzadria, perhaps, or 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 after the mezzadria, when that mentality hadn't yet disappeared. Perhaps Italy is one of the most ancient wine-producing countries in the world, with vineyards that have been in virtual cultivation since antiquity. Yet at the same time, it's one of the most innovative and exciting. And your writing is part of that discovery of your own country, of this new world mentality linked to this ancient patrimony of vines. Would you say that's that's true? It's an exciting time to be writing about Italian wine and about Italian food. Uh, yes, yes, it's an exciting time. I think that probably in the past uh, it was uh, even more exciting. Uh, you mentioned Mezzadria correctly. I think that since the 90s, a lot of small producers, well, uh, a lot of uh, viticulturists, uh, a lot of uh, small farms uh, um, which produced just the grape and uh, and uh, which uh, sold the wine uh, in, in bulk, they started at that time they started to to bottle and to produce uh, their own wine. And uh, so that was probably the most exciting uh, time for, for when writing in Italy because uh, uh, there was everything to, to, to publish, to, uh, to show to, to the public, to, to the readers. Uh, today is different. Today, 
is a more um, detailed work, uh, but is uh, is exciting again because of what is happening now in Italy. I like to define uh, as a postmodern winemaking. A few years ago, I, I read a book. Uh, uh, which was called uh, Postmodern Winemaking. It is written by Clark Smith, uh, um, an American winemaker. And uh, the idea uh, about this wine, around this wine, is today we can rediscover the, the traditional style of winemaking. Uh, and we have a lot of traditional styles uh, in Italy. With the knowledge and with the technology that we, we have, that we know, in order to, uh, to, to, to make uh, not natural wine, but wines uh, in the... Um, uh, as much smoother way as possible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting and in looking at that within that that historical context as well, but with all the knowledge that came about with technology. It's interesting how in many ways as you say there's a return to the past for example amphora but with a different sensibility than simply fermenting wines as they were done you know over over the over the centuries tuscany is one of your areas of expertise you live in in florence what do you think some of the most exciting developments in tuscany are today within that context that you've just described well um first of all i i think that uh, chianti classico is uh, the appellation uh, and the the, the sub-region where there is uh, the most exciting changing about wine, uh, not just because of the Gran Selezione, the new top-end uh, selection uh, of wines, but because of the work, what we call it, Zonazione, the, the, the different, uh, the more, more detailed work on the uh, villages of Chianti Classico, because Chianti Classico is a quite big uh, where region is almost like Bordeaux, is uh, 80 kilometers long between Florence and Siena. And you have so many different uh, villages uh, with uh, different styles. Today they are producing wine uh, with, uh, almost, with, with almost 100% Sangiovese. Uh, the style of winemaking is um, uh, always very close, uh, very classic. So... Uh, it is easy to to distinguish the the different villages uh, uh, within the Chianti Classico area, and uh, and for me this is very exciting for the wine lovers. Uh, all the wine lovers are made of of details about uh, about the land and about uh, the, the the differences of uh, of the wines. Say that uh, we have uh, uh, something. Uh, very interesting also in Montalcino. Today, there is um, the next generation of producers in, in Montalcino, which is coming to manage the, the wineries. They have traveled a lot since they, was, uh, they were young, and, and so they are more open-minded compared to their uh, parents and their grandparents. I think, for example, that the, the style of Montalcino is more precise, the extractions are more uh, balanced. So even here, uh, we have uh, a lot of energy. You know? uh, it, it's a classic appellation, but uh, it, it looks like a very young because of the, the energy and the excitement that 
that there is around. Yes, that's really that's really interesting. That youthful energy coming from that next generation. But going back to the Chianti Classico, I think uh, you're right to highlight what the consumers will know as the UGAs. Is that is that right? These uh, communal appellations that have really we're 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 only beginning to see them now. On uh, is that something that you think will also begin to happen? perhaps in Montalcino, where there's great variety between northern vineyards in the southern or in other Tuscan wine areas? I, I don't think so, to be honest. Um, I think that uh, Montalcino has um, clearly different areas. The southwest produces wines uh, more more approachable. The northeast uh, is more uh, uh, austere when, when young. Uh, the southeast is the the most classic ones. Uh, so there are there are there are um, macro differences in, in Montalcino for me. But um, a lot of the producers uh, own and grow grapes in, in different areas and then then uh, blend it uh, together. So I think they will not have the interest to play like in Chianti Classico with a, with a zonazione. And also Montalcino is, is smaller compared to, to Chianti Classico. So uh, it, it would be that, you know, useful for, for the appellation. Um, I'm not sure about that. And if I can add something, uh, the, the MGA in uh, in um, Lange for Barolo and Barbaresco, it is very interesting. Um, it, it is uh, a work uh, which today is full of uh, details. Uh, MGA is becoming something like uh, the, the premier crew quality level for, uh, for uh, Barolo and Barbaresco. But when uh, in the past, when, when all the producers... Uh, used to blend uh, the, the, the grapes from different uh, vineyards all around Barolo and Barbaresco. This was done uh, due to the, 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 the different vintages, uh, you know, cool vintages, warm vintages. So uh, in my view, is something that we are going to lose. Of course, we all love uh, more details, but... Uh, which is the, 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 the price for that? It's also a risk that we, we can have without the ability to blend uh, different MGA. Or... Well, that's an interesting point, Aldo. We have the individuality of crew, but the more total complexity of a wine that blends grapes from Castiglione Ferlato with La Mora, for example, or Serolunga, can give a rounder and more complete wine in a different sense. Uh, is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Now, we're talking about some of the exciting things that are happening in the world of Italian wine, and it is an exciting story. Witness the rise and rise of a wine zone such as Etna, where you know grapes have been grown since antiquity on the volcano, but it's only in the last 20 years that Etna has jumped to the world's attention as a wine zone of the highest quality. How come something like that can happen? In my view, this is um, it's this a sort of a postmodern winemaking that we are living today. So Etna was very tough to grow. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the vineyards in Etna are, are very 
hard to grow. Um, so uh, today we have um, more more knowledge, more skills uh, to in order to do that, and uh, and and mostly um, what we what, what happened in in Sicily uh, is that uh, the the region was um, developed uh, a lot uh, in the in the nineties, but following. Um, a kind of uh, commercial trend like Oak de Chardonnay, for example. But then the, the, the region uh, refines and refines the, the, the style of their wine, rediscovered the indigenous grape varieties such as uh, Nerello Mascalese in Etna or uh, Carricante or Grillo. And, uh, and today uh, is the, Sicily is not anymore focused only on powerful wines like uh, you know Nero d'Avola uh, or uh, even uh, the, the last uh, Oak Chardonnay that there are in the in the island, but is is uh, all also focused on very fresh, uh, crisp, uh, uh, mineral white wines close to the sea, and uh, uh, mostly in Etna, uh, elegant and fresh uh, red wines. So. Uh, in, in my view, is is both things. So on one side, the the the, the, the different style that we have today, this kind of uh, postmodern uh, style that we would like to have in the wines, and on the other side, the, the trend uh, and the demand for uh, for wines with uh, elegance and freshness, even from a warm place such as Sicily. Because uh, as we know, uh, Etna is uh, uh, three thousand meters above sea level. And uh, we have vineyards, the, the highest vineyards of Europe, uh, up to 1,000, uh, 1,200 meters above sea level. Today, there is also the maturity in, the, in, in uh, some of the uh, most engaged consumers and, and wine lovers to, to appreciate uh, wines with a leaner uh, character, not just uh, full, rich and smooth but also with a leaner character, but full of uh, nuances, full of elegance and full of freshness. That's interesting, too, that um, as you talk about the postmodern winemaking, there's also a postmodern wine drinker, perhaps, that, <laughs> that has mat matured. Coming back to America, Vinitaly International Academy, the ultimate Italian wine qualification will be held in New York City from 4 to 6 March 2024. Have you got what it takes to become the next Italian wine ambassador? Find out at Vinitaly.com. I'm in the UK, and so you're very aware of the uh, consumers here. We've seen more and more native Italian grapes from throughout the country becoming more mainstream in international markets, certainly. I'm thinking of Fiano, Grillo, Falanghina, Pecorino, Ribola Gialla, Verdicchio, Arnais. There's so many. It's really actually very enjoyable for wine Verdicchio. drinkers who love Italian wines to you know, discover a wine that they didn't know, Trebbiano Spoletino, grapes such as that. Where do you think uh, this is going with, and, and, and do you think that there, yeah. there are Italian grape varieties that aren't yet widely known by the public that 
we will see more and more of? What regions are exciting in that respect? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm very happy about that because uh, for me, not only speaking about the wine, but also speaking about the food, uh, what do we have in, in Italy is the biodiversity. Uh, so we need to show, to share all uh, of our uh, biodiversity in great varieties, uh, as well as in, you know, speaking about cheese, uh, uh, vegetables uh, and, and dishes uh, region by region. This could be a risk because uh, uh, more niche grape varieties demand uh, a more en- engaging consumer for, for more engaging consumers we need to to work on the culture of them uh, on the formations on the knowledge uh, about uh, single grape varieties uh, which is uh, which is not easy uh, but i think that uh, this is the the, the strength uh, of, of italy uh, i think uh, definitely that verdicchio is one of the of the most important grape variety in the last few years uh, in terms of growth uh, because uh, it's um it's a very important white wine is a is a is a white wine that you could drink as a red wine uh, almost uh, because of its structure i think also that uh, that campania could be grow here the the wineries are uh, often uh, quite small uh, Campania counts just the two percent of uh, Italian wine wine production, uh, but there are um, uh, amazing appellations and wines. I think uh, to the white wines uh, from from Amalfi Coast, and uh, obviously uh, I would consider Irpinia. Mm. I think that uh, the the culture and the the, the success of the the indigenous gray, Italian grape varieties could. Uh, increase the interest for Italian regions, uh, smaller regions or less known regions, uh, such as uh, you know Irpinia that we mentioned, uh, Etna, and so we can consider Iesi or Matelica as well for for Verdicchio, uh, and and so on. Because uh, the the grey variety uh, at the end uh, is anyway just uh, uh, an instrument to to express the the soil, the land, and the, the terroir. Yes, that's that's a very interesting point. And I really like the way you've linked that uh, to the incredible biodiversity that also comes from the land in terms of food products. Uh, so this is a good opportunity to turn to discussing food and wine. Um, sharing food with wine is incredibly important to Italians throughout Italy, to Italians anywhere, perhaps more so than anywhere else in the world. Why do you think Italian wine is so intimately linked to Italian food and indeed to local and regional food? This is a very good question. I would start in this way. Despite I am a sommelier, I do not uh, use to to make the, the, the matching from a technical point of view. Because in Italy, it's very easy to match wine and food if you pick both from the same place. We can do a lot of examples. Uh, Chianti Classico with uh, Fiorentina Steak or uh, Cotechino with uh, Lambrusco, an old Barolo with uh, with white truffle. It's very nice that uh, you have this coincidence. If you if you pick the wine and and, and the dish from uh, from the same place, uh, the the match, uh, more or, more or less, uh, is always quite good. I, I can't say 
uh, why? I think uh, I think that the importance of the link with food and wine is a matter of a, of a very old culture. Is uh, is our culture because uh, the the food culture in the cuisine, the Italian cuisine, uh, w- was born by the base of the society. Is not uh, as the French one, we, which come from uh, the monarchy, the the, the, the diplomacy. Uh, and so um, it, it's really something linked with the, with the land. Uh, but uh, um, what, what we can say, I think that, uh, uh, for example, we need to, we need to approach uh, Italian wines uh, in, a, in a different way um, from what is done, for example, from the... Uh, American critics, because some of them have a, a different uh, taste, a different approach. Uh, so, for example, in my view, we we should not uh, uh, search for the, the the perfect tannin when when we taste the, the wine, because yes, this is a matter of quality. But sometimes we need to look for uh, details uh, in in wine, and uh, and we have. Uh, wines with uh, with tannins but we used to to match the the wines with food so uh, at the end uh, the perception of the wine is uh, with the food is is different you need to have a structure you need to have acidity you need to have tannins uh, you need to have even um, quite nervous and uh, tense uh, wines not not to to drink just by the glass uh, out of the of the meals so in my view we we should be able to to put the 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 palate of uh, of uh, europe uh, uh, at the center of the of the wine critics because we have a this kind of culture of the wine uh, shared uh, on the table with food and and so we need wines with structure, with uh, with character, with details, uh, not wines made uh, to be drunk. Uh, well, I mean, not only wines made by the glass out of the meals, so very smooth and maybe even off dry sort of things. Yes, I know what you're saying, and I think that's really interesting to be as a professional critic to be tasting always with that sensibility of how that wine is going to be enjoyed. You've also written books about food, wine, and art, including a book entirely about risotto alla milanese. What is particular about this dish that's so special that it's a subject of a book? It seems to be incredible, but I I traveled across nearly 50 restaurants and osteria to taste uh, different risotto alla milanese and there was no one similar to another. What I like of uh, risotto alla milanese is uh, that is a complex dish and uh, full of details uh, and so is almost always different. But so what is also very interesting and uh, this is why we published the book uh, now is uh, this time for uh, for a town like Milan, where the recipe was born. 
Because Milan today is, uh, after the, the, the Expo, a very international town. Milan was not so international 10 years ago, for example. It was not like Rome, Florence or Venice, uh, which are used to, to be open to, to the rest of the world. And so the, this recipe is changed a lot under the pressure of this, uh, this town uh, more, more international. Uh, and, and with the, with the more influences, we we worked a lot uh, on the history of the recipe. Uh, we discovered that probably uh, the recipe uh, was born uh, with uh, yellow sausages, uh, which was typical of uh, estensi court in the in the past. So in the, from the Emilia, and uh, we discovered a link uh, between these yellow sausages and the and the rice uh, Milanese risotto, which is obviously yellow. But today, this recipe uh, became more and more contemporary. So with the less fat, less is more recipe compared to the past, because uh, it, it's a very rich dish. Uh, yes, there, there are um, there are a lot of things to 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 share. Fascinating. That's. Absolutely fascinating. And I can see just speaking to you about this, how food for you is, is not just, just as wine is not a wine to be tasted simply on its own, but within a broader cultural context. So it is with food where that one dish risotto alla milanese has a wealth of history and cultural overtones every time you sit down and sample it. Aldo, we could go on talking about much more. There are many other questions I wanted to discuss with you. I wanted to talk about truffles, but that perhaps we can leave for another time. We've run out of time for this podcast, but it's been really great to meet you here. And I want to thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and your passion about both Italian wine and food. Uh, with our listeners. So thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you too, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Grazie. Arrivederci. Ciao. Grazie. Arrivederci. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.